is what I've been doing. I'm so sorry. That it, sounds like the absolute worst. Yeah, it's really absurd because, like, I guess, like, as a technology teacher, a lot of what you're doing is, like, formulas and stuff yeah. when you plug things into a computer. So it's not, yeah. like, geometry math or, like, physics math. It's, like, can you plug this into a, like, programming system? I don't even, I can't even begin to understand that. It's hurting my head. (laughs) But I did fully render a model of a selfie stick today. No way. All the moving parts. (laughs) That's Liza in the background. Yes, it looks good. Actually, we're recording. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, I'm feeling more and more comfortable with it every day, but I also feel like my brain's going to explode. I'm sure. Well, because also it's hard because you've been teaching the same social studies things for so long now that it was like secondhand to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you were at the point where like you almost didn't even need to think about it. Yeah, so like now this is, now all, this is all very new. Um, but you'll get the hang of it. I have full faith in you. I'm, I'm really hoping I'm smart <laughs> enough to handle it. You definitely are. Um, but we're not here to talk about math. No, my God, never. <laughs> Please, no. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians or mathematicians. Nope. None of those things. So we're not going to double check ourselves. You can double check us. Yeah. We really tried to make this as accurate as possible, but sometimes we mess up because, you know, we use a lot of Wikipedia. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's really the best source out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have two new patrons in the last few yes. weeks. Tristan and Vero, longtime ah, listener. We love Vero. Uh-huh. I think of Vero every time I drive down Harford Road because there's a billboard yeah that says like vero uses this money app or whatever and i'm like what are the chances i've never seen anyone else with that name before that's that's (laughs) That's great that's pretty interesting so i see vero's name every time i drive down the street um, I think though, let's send um some shout out love to our old time patrons who we don't talk about a lot. So yes. everybody else is Alicia and Mallory and Molly and Ariel and Marjorie or sister, um, <laughs> Celia and Luna and Mora, uh, our Mora and Joyce and Connor and Alicia and Elena. And Brooke, guys, this is a long list now. It's getting longer, which is so great. And Rebecca and Emily P and Lisa and Joanne and Sarah W and hashtag history. That's Rachel and Leah and Miss Krista and Kara and another Emily and Misty and my older brother. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> there's so list. many people. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Really. It means so much to us. Um, and just to the new folks, welcome to the community. You're among great, great people. Seriously. Great company. <laughs> um, and you'll get something in the mail shortly and then you get perks. You get to listen to extras. Mm-hmm. You get some uncut episodes and, um, we talk to you more. Yeah, we do. Publicly. Absolutely. And about you. <laughs> um, but, you guys are all busy. Yeah, you're busy signing up for Patreon. So right. you're focused on that. You're listening to the show and you don't want to go onto a new webpage because the Patreon webpage might crash. Right. So in order to get a picture in your mind of what these incredible women look like, we're going to describe it. We're going to get a little. 
Physical. Physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? Tonight on this penultimate episode <laughs> of the season, I am doing our first Disney princess of the season. Moana of Montanui. Love it. (laughs) Moana is a 16-year-old from a fictional Pacific island called Montanui. She has a slender but muscular build, which sets her apart from other Disney princesses or heroines from the past. She has brown eyes and thick eyebrows, full lips, and long, wavy black hair. She's typically wearing her hair down, but when she's really trying to think, she'll throw it up in a bun on the top of her head just to keep it out of her face like Mm -hmm. when she's trying to sail and then her traditional outfit is made out of the natural resources from the island and it has a traditional pattern crop top um and a wrap skirt and she's usually barefoot and that is what moana looks like love it who are you doing and what does she look like I am doing Miriam Defensor Santiago, uh, the Iron Lady of Asia. (laughs) She is a lovely Filipino woman with a full face, like these sharp, high cheekbones, uh, dark eyes, and kind of a wide, downturned mouth that she always puts red lipstick on. (laughs) Um, But it can turn into the most beautiful smile, especially when she's cracking a joke. She has short black permed hair that's usually just like kind of poofed up. Um, And she was said to have very beautiful legs. (laughs) But in most photos online, you don't get to see them because she's usually standing behind a pulpit or a desk or a judge's bench uh, giving speeches or rulings in a nice pressed red suit. She just loved the color red wow <laughs> that's what she looked what like. a power go- color right like that's oh crazy. yeah and i think that was uh very on purpose she is a powerhouse of a woman love it <laughs> um okay do you want to know what you're drinking i do Isn't it's it so beautiful what is it okay so this is of course called i am Moana. name of the drink <laughs> Um, cause you can't not, she screams that the whole, movie. yeah, the whole movie. It's like, oh my gosh, we get it. Your name's I'm Moana. Moana. Oh. Yeah, we know. We know who you are. <laughs> Thanks. She's a one namer. Um, okay. So it's two ounces of rum, one ounce of really any type of fruit juice. The real recipe I made calls for passion fruit juice, but you can throw in anything that's in your fridge, mango, grapefruit, whatever's in there. Uh, a half an ounce of fresh squeezed lime, three fourths of an ounce of coconut simple syrup, a little splash of sherry, a pineapple leaf, <laughs> not any fresh not pineapple, any pineapple <laughs> just a pineapple leaf, a lime slice all the way through and some blueberries. Perfect. Cheers. It's so delicious. Wow. And what the heck made it this color? Um, the little splash of sherry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, I just, it's like purple. Mm-hmm. It's so cute and so tasty. I think the, the splash of sherry along with the um, coconut simple syrup made it like very pinkish yeah. together. Oh, um, it's a paint palette that I, I was making. <laughs> really? I love it. It's like really good. It's so cute and delicious and fantastic. And I feel like we've made a lot of really good coconut cocktails that aren't pina coladas this yeah. season. We've been doing a great so job. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So tell me what you know about Moana. Okay, so I know that she's obviously um, a Disney princess. She's the first like Pacific Islander Disney princess, I think. Um, and I know that 
it was like a big deal that they like went on a search of like an actual like Pacific Islander like teenage girl to voice her because yes. obviously Disney has had problems with that in the past. I'm mm-hmm. looking at you, Danny Osmond. Um, <laughs> Donnie Osmond? Donnie Osmond? Yeah, that's right. Donnie and Marie. My what baby. about Mel Gibson? Oh, psych. John Smith no, was John white. Smith yeah. was white. Yeah, that's <laughs> How dare he play a Protestant? How dare you, white man, play a white man? Um, but yeah, and I know, like, I've seen the movie and I know she's like very strong and it's a beautiful story and I love that she doesn't really have a love interest and yeah, that's, that's what I know about my, I mean, I've seen the movie and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the movie and the basic plot and then I'm going to talk about Polynesian mythology and then I'm going to talk about what Disney got right and what Disney got wrong Mm. just in general when they were making this. Perfect. I can't wait. All right, so let's do it. So, um, like we said, Moana is from a fictional island, and the story is supposed to begin and exist about 3,000 years ago. So this is supposed to be like B.C. Polynesian islands, which I think gets lost on a lot of people. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the story and the culture is based in a very real heritage and history of Pacific islands, such as... Hawaii, Samoa, Tonga, and Tahiti. Um, The basic story of the movie Moana is it came out on November 23rd, 2016. Your birthday. Uh Uh-huh. My daughters took me to it on my birthday, actually, because Jake was working. It was the day after Thanksgiving, and we just, like, all went to the movies. That sounds like a perfect day after Thanksgiving thing to do. It was wonderful. Um, This made it the 56th Disney animated feature film and has a screen time of one hour and 47 minutes. The film grossed $645 million worldwide and received two nominations um, for Oscars for best animated feature and best original song with how far I'll go. Mm. So that's the basics. Let's get into the plot. On the Polynesian island of Montanui, the inhabitants worshipped the goddess Tafiti. And we'll talk more about Tafiti's mythology in a little bit. But there's a demigod, Maui, who we'll also talk about in a little bit. <laughs> and he steals the heart of Tafiti to create slash give humanity its power. So Maui is doing things like creating heat and the sun and the tides and the wind, but he's using Tafiti's power in order to do that. Like he's okay. not strong enough to do that on his own. Um, and while the earth was made great by this heart, Tafiti um, disintegrates and Maui is attacked for these actions. He loses his magic. The heart falls into the ocean and is lost forever. Mm. 1,000 years later, (laughs) Moana, who is the only daughter of the chief of Montanui, was playing on the beach in her little baby Polynesian diaper, and she is quite a compassionate young child who sees a baby sea turtle struggling to make it to the water, which... If you've ever watched anything on the Discovery Channel, (laughs) you know the majority of the sea turtles don't make it to the water. Yeah, I mean, that's Sea Turtle Central, Discovery Channel. And those filmographers do not help at all. No, and they're, I mean, they are being (laughs) murdered on the beach by like every animal and they're so slow. Oh my God. And then they're, okay, so anyway, I looked it up and most scientists estimate that somewhere 
between only one in a thousand or one in 10,000 live. <gasps> what? Because they, they lay so many eggs on the beach and then they have to get up out of the sand, get across the sand without birds eating them, <sighs> and then get into the ocean without ocean animals eating them. Oh my gosh. Are we like concerned about this population? I feel or like we should be. are they like okay? Like, I, I don't think just, they're fine. Like, I, I, think don't... <laughs> I, think it's, I think nobody should ever mess with any sea turtles. We need to fix all these problems. I feel like we could protect some more of them. Yeah. Like why don't we just pick them up and put them in the ocean? Yeah, really. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> and they're only like this big when yeah, they're born. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You Teensy could... tiny. <laughs> like a just... crab could eat it. <laughs> yeah i feel like we could really like just take one of those like little kid shovels pick them up throw them in the ocean yeah and i mean is that we should all take a note from moana because she saves the turtle's life and because of that the ocean chooses to um have her like save the heart of tafiti perfect so i didn't know that was like why yeah so she, when she saves that turtle in the beginning the ocean kind of parts for her and she walks in and the ocean kind of hands her the heart of tafiti mm-hmm. it's kind of sitting there in the sand but then her dad like grabs her and is like no don't go near the water and i think we're supposed to assume that the grandmother was watching from far away and went and got the heart because oh. the grandmother has it later okay there are a lot of things about this movie i forgot it's so intense <laughs> so intense so save the turtles everyone Whoop! no straws <laughs> so from this point forward moana was selected by the ocean and she feels inexplicit inexplicably <laughs> this is not gonna be a good night um drawn to the water she's super drawn to the water which i do not understand um <laughs> Throughout her childhood, Moana's mother and father try to keep her away from the water. Um, and she's to be the next chief of the island. And, you know, she has, like so many other young royals, she has to grow up at a very young age. Like, you have mm-hmm. to be trained for this, that, and the other. Um, we learn a lot about Moana's family. Her parents are very loving yet controlling. Her father's obviously the chief. Her mother is an important part of this traditional economy where they work together to support everybody on the island by hunting, gathering, fishing, weaving, etc. Her grandmother's a super free spirit who supports Moana's passion for the water. And her grandmother is just often referenced as just like a wonderful female role model yeah. in this movie. Such a cool grandma. Um, and we know that multiple generations have lived on this island because on top of a mountain, every time a new chief takes over, they put a new like flat rock and there's a big pile of rocks mm-hmm. on top of the mountain. And her father's explaining to her that you're going to have the next rock. Um, but when Moana's 16, a blight strikes the island. It's killing the vegetation. It's shrinking the fish population. So Moana suggests to her dad as like chief in training, why don't we go and try to get fish from beyond the reef instead mm-hmm. of just inside of it? And he's like, no, no way. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're ridiculous. But she tries to conquer the reef on her own anyway. So she gets out there. She's on her boat, which they did a great job with the traditional boats of the mm-hmm. Polynesian people. Um, and a huge wave capsizes her boat and she goes down into the water and cuts her ankle open on the reef which if you've ever seen somebody with scars from coral reefs they look insane yeah no thank you yeah i don't ever want that to happen in my mm, life no oh i always think about was that movie blue crush oh when yeah she like 
hits the coral. Yeah. No thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that one bit. No. But it's also one of the things that I like that they put in the movie was like the first time she went out, like she failed. Like, oh, yeah. Big time. Like, failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> Which and I think is important. It is. And, and we find out that this is the reason that her father's so against the water, that he had gone out with his friend and his friend died <gasps> in that like adventurous spirit thing so that's why he's like moana you cannot go out there you have to stay on the island so moana's grandmother takes interest in her and shows her the secrets of her ancestors within this cave and she finds out that her people used to be voyagers um until maui stole the heart of tefiti and the ocean was no longer safe without it because of this taka is now poisoning the island and the only way to cure it is to find the heart and to do this Moana's like well now I have to find Maui this portion of Polynesian history is actually pretty true I was reading online that the Polynesian people were these immense explorers and then all of a sudden one day just like stopped Huh. They just didn't explore anymore. And I mean, honestly, if I found Fiji, I would be like, uh, I'm cool. I'm just yeah. going <laughs> You know, this is pretty tight. This is what I would like to call paradise. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done exploring. Thank we you. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, they're probably like, we found Eden. This yeah. is great. Um, so Moana's not really sure what to do with herself, but then the most important person in her life passes away. Um, and as her grandmother is dying, her grandmother reaches down and takes off her necklace to give to Moana. And the necklace has the heart of Tafiti in it that the grandmother has been holding until Moana was ready. Um, and she's been holding it since Moana was a baby in that first scene of the movie. A lot of people focus on Moana's grandmother in this scene, but I cry during this scene every single time when Moana gets up in the middle of the night and she's running away and she's like stooping down in her room, packing her bag and her mom walks in and says nothing, just kneels down and helps Moana pack. Yeah. And then Moana leaves and it's a completely wordless exchange. Nothing happens except the mom comes in and helps and then walks away. Mm. I just think it's such a powerful moment of like female support no it absolutely is and just like that whole thing of like i know what you need to do you know what you need to do like grandma knew it like i'm here for it right and like yeah i love wordless scenes in films i think they're so powerful yeah i wish there was a scene like that in mulan Mm. i kind i've kind of started putting that in my head even though i know it didn't happen i'm like yeah her mom knew but no she woke up and found that her daughter was gone yeah so She's now setting sail on a traditional boat and not too long after she finishes singing, (laughs) the boat is shipwrecked in a terrible, terrible storm and she gets shipwrecked on an island that happens to be inhabited by Maui, who's been stuck there without magic and no boat for like a thousand years. And she demands that he help her return the heart and he, of course, refuses. This is the, I am Moana of Montanui, you will board my boat like that she says a million times through the movie um it always it reminds me of the you killed my father prepare to die oh scene. yeah um and i think there were memes about that when the movie came out yeah. it's like i'm Moana of montanu you killed my father um so now he he like locks her on the island and steals her boat 
um maui leaves her there like just totally stranded like she would totally die she's not a demigod um so now she's trapped but um she's got the ocean on her side so like the ocean helps her escape from this trap and then also helps her without a boat get to maui um and she realizes that she has to gain maui's trust and help him get his power back um and to do that they have to go into the realm of monsters and moana's quick thinking of course helps them steal his hook back from the shiny shiny turtle i loved that guy (laughs) jemaine shiny (laughs) yeah jemaine clement i love that scene i love that song of course lin-manuel miranda wrote like all the music i couldn't get through without talking about it moana's dad is actually voiced by um george washington from hamilton really yeah. isn't that funny that's funny um okay i wish i knew his name he's also <laughs> a lawyer in bull the show bull huh. that no one watches on television yeah never heard of it i like that show um it's a lawyer show it's just you know i like suits yeah it's just yeah. like a we do juries I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is um okay so moana um, is then taught by Maui how to sail for real. So they okay. start to bond and the two are traveling to Tefiti to try to get the heart back. But then they're attacked by Taka. And Maui's like, look, I am now totally unwilling to help you. This is like not cool. I don't want to lose my powers again. I don't want my staff to break. And he bails on her. There's also a point where they are attacked by coconut pirates, the Kakamora. Oh yeah, they were so cute. And they have to escape from that. They are cute. We're going to talk about that and what they got wrong though part. I think they're adorable and thought that part was fun. But again, all these situations, Moana's really smart and she outthinks everybody. But after Maui leaves her, let's keep in mind the ocean loves her. Her adventuring dead ancestors love her. Her dead grandmother loves her. So the ocean obliges and helps Moana try to return the heart. And, of course, her grandmother is guiding her with her stingray spirit animal that through the ocean. very cool. It's so beautiful. It looks like a Patronus to me. Yes. I love that scene so much when her grandmother is, like, um, iridescent and... She's like singing to Moana about her ancestors. You get another good I am Moana moment. And then she follows the stingray. Um, So together they restore the heart. Tafiti, who's the Mother Earth character, is restored. The island's natural resources are saved. And Moana returns home to reunite with her parents. She takes on the role as Chief Wayfinder, leading her people to return to voyaging. And there's an incredible scene at the end where she is holding on to the mast or the mast of the ship and is leaning over the edge. And she sings this off into the sunset. Mm. That was, like, the greatest, like, end where it was like, oh, like... They're not separate beings. Right. This is, no, was it yeah. Tafiti? Tafiti is Taka. Tafiti is Taka. Yeah. It's just she's hurting because her right. freaking heart's gone. Right. You, you literally stole like her most precious yeah. item. For, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was shocked when yeah. that was happening. Great ending. Great ending. Yeah. Um, so, so Moana spoilers, guys. Sorry. Yeah. So, um. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's came out in 2016. Yeah. If you haven't sure seen it, it, get over it. But so that's the basic plot. But I'm not here for the basic plot. Okay. I'm here to talk about what is actually happening here. Because Moana is not a piece of Polynesian mythology. Moana is a completely made-up fictional Mm -hmm. character in the 2010s. Um, 
so let's kind of break this down on what is real Polynesian history. I'll talk a little bit about Maui, but it's mostly because I'm real. Maui's a real mythological character, and then Tafiti's kind of real, but is a mixture of other Polynesian gods. So Tafiti Taka is a mixture of Pacific Islander gods. Um, Huamia is the first one that's really important, and this is the Tafiti type character. She's the goddess of fertility and childbirth, um, and the mother of a whole bunch of really important deities, and is technically the Mother Earth type character. Okay. So that is who you're supposed to see in Tafiti. That's a pretty easy one. Taka is a little bit harder and difficult to understand. So Taka is a blend with Maui's story because Maui and this Taka character did have some pretty weird interactions. So let's start with Maui because he's one of the bigger characters and then I'll weave that into Taka. So um, Maui's a trickster, which leads him into him stealing the heart. He is a demigod, but demigod is kind of like the a weird translation that like we use in Greek mythology for like being half God, half human. But he's more of like a, an Avenger. He's like a, oh. a super person. Okay. Um, and we can find Maui's demigod archetype in many cultures, but the Disney creators, um, decided to focus on the Polynesian mythology because like you said, they were really searching to do something in the Pacific islands. But many people didn't realize, recognize him when the ads started coming out for this movie because Maui is supposed to be a slim man who's just coming of age with like a top knot on his head uh-huh. bun. And he's huge and covered with tattoos, which are traditional tattoos. And he's got this long flowing hair. And at first, Disney wanted to make him bald, but then changed their mind. And, like, in mythology, he had, like, these four brothers, and he was the son of a god and a mortal woman. But in the movie, his parents abandoned him, and then the gods felt bad for him, so they, like, adopted him. And, I don't know, his story had a whole lot of violence and adult themes, like most mythology does. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people weren't happy with his portrayal, and we'll talk about why in a second. So the way that he helped out humans is he is paddling in this boat with his brothers, and his fish hook catches on the ocean floor, and he tells his brothers to paddle faster, and they pull it away, and the islands pop up out of the water from, like, the snag in the hook. He also lassos the sun and holds on to it um, until the sun agrees to give us longer days in the summertime. And he also passed down the secret of fire to the humans. But his look was a really, really big deal. People were very upset about his size. They thought that it perpetuated a negative stereotype of overweight Polynesian men and women. Okay. And even more so after the movie, they came out with these like sleeve tattoos that you could put on and it really kind of likened to like people changing their skin color it was like a really uncomfortable like yeah halloween costume and it's like we didn't need to do this right like you could have just left that one alone right you can just do like the skirt and a t-shirt or like something like whatever he wore yeah or just like yeah. let you can well, make your own costume or draw tattoos on yourself give yeah. like a washable pen because like right now it's like 
bordering that territory of like, I know you're doing a character from a movie, but this character is based that like Moana is a totally fictionalized person. Right. This is someone who's actually rooted in tradition. And it's like, it kind of feels like you're turning this like very important cultural touchstone into just a costume. Right. Which it's is like when people the... do Pocahontas. It's exactly. Like, maybe not. Let's not do that. Right. Um, because it, it does, it gets really icky. So that first year for Halloween, cause it wasn't till a full, like it came out in November. So it wasn't like till a full 10 months later when people were like, this is probably not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I don't have a problem with like kids dressing up, but like in like Moana's dress right. and stuff like that. Cause again, she's like totally fictionalized, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a, it's a really hard thing. Cause it's also like one of the only male characters in the movie. So then it's like, if you have little boys who really liked the movie, it's like, who do I dress up as? And it's like, well, there are other ways to go about this than just like putting on a sleeve tattoo. I don't know. It was very weird. Right. (laughs) And there's like a a darkened skinned tattoo. Exactly. T-shirt. Yeah. It it was a very weird situation. And obviously there are people from the um, Pacific Island culture who could speak to this much better than I could on like why it's not okay. Um, So let's see. Where was I? Okay. Um, And the movie's... The mo- the Disney movie was originally supposed to be all about him. Oh. But then they started sending people from the Disney, like, creative team to the Pacific Islands. Because they were like, we're not going to make this mistake again. So they're yeah. sending people there. They're like, let's do all the research. And they, like, started seeing all these strong, brave, confident Pacific Islander women. And they were like, no, we've got to change this story plot. Yeah. This needs to be about one of these women. So Taka, who is, like, the final boss in a video game, <laughs> is um, a mixture of two goddesses. First, Pele. Um, who's the goddess of fire and other destructive elements. And the second is um, Hini Noe Tipo. And she's the goddess of darkness in the underworld. But let's start with Pele. She um, has a personality that is rough. Ooh, okay. Fire, volcanoes, passion, jealousy, fury. Um, that's who she is. She's the daughter of the Tafiti character. So she's Ooh, supposed okay. to be like the daughter of the Mother Earth character, not really the same person. And she's the siblings with a whole bunch of other super important gods, the god of war, the god of medicine, etc. Um, but she's really known for starting a lot of drama, especially among her siblings. In fact, she banged her sister's husband. <gasps> No. And like refused to apologize. Um, so she leaves the island so that she doesn't like get in trouble with her sister and they stop fighting. But her sister comes to find her and attacks her on another island and leaves her for dead. She totally kicks Peely's ass. Okay. Um, but then um, her sister thought she killed her, but she didn't. So then she, like, gets up, gets better, and goes and finds Hawaii. So now um, Pili is living in Hawaii, and there's a whole bunch of other demigods there, like the god of snow and the god of mountains and canals and rivers, whatever. And these four are lava sledding. And Pili shows up, and she's like, oh, my gosh, can I play with you? And they're like, Sure. Of course you can play with us. It's very fun. Come sled this lava. Um, but she gets really pissed because they're better at it than her, even though she like just started. Um, so then she tries to attack them with 
fire and is super powerful um and at first they try to run from her so then she starts like this earthquake that's going to make a volcano explode with anger but the four of them come together with their powers and they um close off the volcano with ice which there is um a snow-covered volcano in the hawaiian islands so this is kind of where that comes from okay um by the end of um, Paley's time, her older sister does catch up to her um, and eventually tears her soul apart. Uh, and she becomes one of the volcanoes that's still active today that people go to see. The reason why this is important for Moana is that when tourists come to Hawaiian Islands, it is said to be cursed or bad luck if you take anything of nature away from Hawaii with you. So I've heard of this volcanic rocks, seashells, anything natural. It's like stealing from Tafiti, right? Taking her heart. Yeah. And you can't do that. Um, really bad luck. And people actually, they have like an address where you can mail things back to Hawaii because people get home and they're like, Oh my God, I'm cursed. I have so much bad luck. And then they mail shit back. That is so (laughs) funny to me. And I don't know where I heard about that, but I have heard that, that like people come home and they're like, Oh my gosh, like super cursed. And I find that fun because that is the movie, right? Her heart is stolen. And then the islands are cursed because the heart was stolen. It's also like they knew from such an early age, like the importance of like ecological maintaining, you know? And they were like, yeah, don't, fuck with nature right. just let it be these like, are the natural features of the earth Please yeah stop. <laughs> save like, the turtles don't steal the stuff <laughs> it's absurd don't take rocks from hawaii and don't <laughs> use straws and simple rules don't kill each other for banging <laughs> each other's husbands i don't know it's crazy okay so the other god that she's kind of like is the daughter of the god of peace and beauty and immortal woman and um this is and i'm butchering her name but hini nui tipo and she was born with a different name didn't know who her dad was and just like greek mythology she ends up marrying her dad without knowing and has kids with him but then she finds out that it's her dad and is full of shame and descends to the underworld so she never has to show her face again oh and this is where the realm of monsters comes from in the movie it's like a deep dark pit um where she's kind of in control of this underworld interesting it's very interesting but here's where Maui and her, a little friend Heaney, come into play. Um, he feels like he needs to do all these favors for humans. He thought death was degrading and he wants to create immortality for people. And he's like, I'm going to try and like reverse the birthing process so that people can be immortal. So he's like, I'm going to try and like crawl back up inside her. Oh, so she falls asleep and she's like this big, like monster thing, kind of like sleeping on the shore and him and his boys go to like, try to crawl inside of her. But when he gets there, he turns all his crew into birds and like, go eat in the tree and don't watch because I don't want you to laugh at me. And, and then he turns himself into a worm and climbs up inside of her and the My boys fear. Uh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the boys start laughing of course cuz they're boys 
Um, and that wakes up <gasps> our good friend goddess. So she crushes him with the teeth in her vagina. Oh no, there are teeth in there. I, I don't there like are. that. That's okay. Scary. But that's, um, how those two. Wow. Get along. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that has, that story has a lot. That's a lot of story. It's a right lot there. Um, so what did the Disney movie get wrong? Um, obviously the mythology is not accurate. You can't put that in a kid's movie. Obviously yeah. Maui's body type, not cool. People really did not like the coconuts, um, as an entire race of people because the Kakamora are a real group of people. Oh no. Who were like short statured people from the <gasps> Solomon Islands. Oh my gosh. Well, that's not okay. No. They have chosen other names. Yeah. Why did they do that? They made a fictional island, make a fictional ethnic group. You don't have what to. What the hell? It's terrible. Okay. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Didn't like that at all. Um, so those are the big things. Uh, that they really got wrong and people were really upset about the Maui thing, obviously, but they did a lot right with this one and people yeah. did feel good about this. So like I said, they did a lot of research beforehand. They went to Pacific Islands several times. They met with anthropologists, cultural practitioners, linguists, choreographers, historians. They really wanted to make sure they were getting this story right. Um, and these people helped them make sure that the story was not only accurate, but that it wasn't insulting. Disney did deleted many scenes that these people were like that's really insensitive to polynesian oh, culture wow. please take that out of the movie they also were the ones that said maui cannot be bold like he's supposed to technically have his hair like up in a top knot but disney was going to make him bold and they were like cannot happen is it like just because the rock is bald yeah I, I don't know maybe that's why they were going to do it but they were like no his power like comes from his hair you can't take away his hair that's insane like real samson vibes right Exactly. Super <laughs> Samson. <laughs> oh, Delilah. We saw a girl today named Delilah outside. Really? Her grandmother was babysitting her and just yelling at her the whole time. And I just felt so bad for her. Wow. <laughs> wow what a taboo name. I know. We were just trying to have fun. And I was like, Liza, we're recording. Was her sister Jezebel? No, her sister was uh, Lorelai. A lot going on there. Yeah. These parents had issues. <laughs> <laughs> Like if you named your kid Delilah or Lorelai, you're totally fine. It. But these people were like, took their kids to a sprinkler park and then were like, don't get wet. Oh no. <laughs> so, I hate that. It was so bad. <laughs> okay. So another thing they got right is they cast a Hawaiian and Samoan and Pacific Islander voice actors for pretty much all the characters, yeah. not every single one, but like a huge amount of the characters. And all of these characters were encouraged to rewrite the lines to include accurate Hawaiian slang. They were like, I make this sound correct. So is Dwayne the Rock Johnson? He's Samoan. He's yeah. Samoan. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know exactly, um, like which island. I know he, I believe he grew up in like the main 48, Oh, but he okay. is ethnically Samoan. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Auli'i, that's her first name. I'm really good with her first name. This is the girl who voiced Moana. Uh -huh. I, I looked up her giving a pronunciation today, so I would get it yeah. right. She was like, Al, like I stub my toe, Lee, like Bruce Lee, and then say E again. <laughs> Auli'i. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, and then her last name's uh, Crevelio. Um, she's the teenage girl from the islands who is just a portrait of grace and beauty and just has been a really great ambassador for the Moana yeah. character in general, because like you said at the beginning, they searched 
for a teenage girl. Yeah. They searched for a Pacific Islander teenage girl. And she, like, looks like Moana. Yes, she And does. she, like, always wears a little flower behind her ear and is just so adorable Ugh, the video of her like getting the news that she got Ugh, the role the cutest video cry yeah every time the cutest can you imagine being like you are going like you're one of what 18 people ever who yeah. are a the a voice of a disney princess yeah Ugh, Ugh. her and mandy moore <laughs> <laughs> and leia salonga <laughs> The, the wildness of the <laughs> selections. Wait, I know more of them. Uh, what was someone like? Not Joni Mitchell. Uh, what is her name? Ariel's voice. Uh, she's like my favorite one. I don't, I she's know. like the it's ambassador. Like Jody something. Jody Foster. No, no, that's was... Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is Jody. You're right. And then Paige Bell is something Paige. I don't know. We're <laughs> terrible at this. We're I too thought, drunk to think of that. I though. thought she was like Hart, not mm. Melissa Joan Hart. Hark! Hark! <laughs> I can't. I can't. Damn it. Okay. Okay. Whatever. We'll doesn't super, matter. We'll super cut it here. Beep. <laughs> okay. There it is. That's all the Disney princesses. Okay. Anyway, um, Moana goes down as one of the first Disney princess stories without a love interest at all. Moana's body is shaped correctly. Moana doesn't have hissy fits. Moana has strong ties to her family and her community. She is passionate and loving and tough and strong-willed. And she is a wonderful role model for children. And I can't wait for her fairy tale to continue because you know they'll do a sequel. Really? You think so? Oh, absolutely. (gasps) They've done a Frozen 2. Oh, I guess so. They've got to. I mean, she was riding off into the sunset. Where is she now? Where is she going? Um, and that so far is the story of 16 year old Moana. Love I would Montanui. love it if they were like waiting for, uh, um, Ali'i yeah. to get like older. That would be great. And then to like track her through the ages, like a boyhood situation. Oh. Like, well, it's funny for her to get the ages. That'd be really cool. I wish I could remember the voice of Ariel right now because she's the only one who's always voiced the little mermaid. Yeah. Even on television shows. Is it Judy something. No, it's Jody. Um, but and now because of that is like the spokesperson. She Jody Benson. Benson. She um like crowns the Disney princesses in Florida when they become a new Disney princess. That's so great. She's the Disney princess ambassador. Ambassador. And she was also the voice of Tinkerbell. Not in, obviously she didn't talk in the original, but they needed her in a role they were like jody we just need somebody to voice this fairy please can you be tinkerbell as well so <laughs> she's now also the voice of tinkerbell wow anyway not important this isn't about her it no, should be um <laughs> <laughs> sorry moana Run out. On out. <laughs> we're going with jody all right we've already done the little mermaid yes we did and it was a great episode way long ago so that's the story of moana i loved it what a great thing i i really liked learning about you're right. Like what they did right and wrong. Yeah. Because I was like, wow, what a perfect movie. And then I like that. I now know that people are like, it wasn't perfect. Like they did a pretty good job, but like, this is important to note. Um, yeah, that was great. All right. Well, let's get some more drinks and we'll be right back. Um, so many fun things happening in the next couple of weeks. Yes. First of all, we're going to be on hashtag history's two year pod anniversary, podversary. 
Yes. It's going to be so much fun. It's all like what, 20s themed? Yeah, 1920s themed. We're doing like a 10-minute segment. So if you want to hear us live along with the people from Beyond Reproach, like people we talk about on this show all the time. Yeah, you can come. They're going to release actually a cocktail um, like a week ahead of time. So you can get the ingredients and drink with us live. (sighs) So go over to Hashtag History if you want tickets to that. It's going to um, be so great. So much fun. I'm really excited. Uh, we're obviously there. We're from Maryland. Beyond Reproach is from New York. Hashtag History is from California. There's another podcast, too, that I'm blanking on right now. Um, but we're not friends with them, so. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, it's going to be so much fun, though. So get your tickets and come drink with us alive. Yes. And then we're doing something on the patron for Sweet Bitter, the Sappho <gasps> podcast. That's yes. coming up. Um, it's kind of like piratey themed. They're having people on that have watched different pirate movies and then they're just talking about it on air. I love it. And we've been assigned Peter Pan. <laughs> One of my favorite yet most controversial Disney movies. It's so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> ah! <laughs> no, I like the movie, but there's it's like so some, messed up. Yeah. There's so many things to... Uh, definitely talk about yep (laughs) um okay well are you ready to get into miriam defensor santiago i am okay okay so can i first what am i drinking we need a drink (laughs) (laughs) it looks so yummy i feel like i'm at a breakfast on a holiday absolutely so this cocktail is called (laughs) death threats for breakfast Mm. um so i based it off of um this cocktail called the half-eaten breakfast and a mimosa um so it is uh, an ounce and a half of gin a half an ounce of amaretto an ounce of tangerine juice a half ounce of lemon juice orange bitters you top the whole thing off with champagne and you garnish it with an orange wedge i would <laughs> not have been able to tell you there's so much in cheers here. i know it's sinfully deceptive oh it's so good these mm. two drinks tonight are <gasps> drinks that could get you drunk so fast um, okay i'm just gonna say i wasn't i didn't have a lot of faith in the amaretto in this but I love it's the very good. amaretto tangerine Mixed. mixture. It's I like the so gin. Good. I always like the gin. Oh, I love gin. It's my favorite. Um, yeah, I was so upset recently because I went out with some high school friends and uh, they were like, Katie, do you like gin? And I was like, absolutely. I love gin. And they're like, great, like Bombay Sapphire for everybody. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I love Bombay. And then he goes, and pour some Red Bull on that. I was like, oh, my God. No, 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 no. What is wrong with you? (laughs) I was like, can you not do that, actually? Um, Please, can I just have it? Can I just have the Bombay? Give me a martini glass, I guess. Please. Um, (laughs) By, like, the end of Jake's work party and my end, which was pretty early, (laughs) um, I was in the kitchen, like, making cocktails for people, just, like, pouring out literally all of our liquor. And people just kept, I wasn't measuring anything. And people kept being like, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, this I'm is what I do professional. professional. <laughs> I kept being like, this is what I do, like, for a living. People <laughs> literally pay me to do and this, And they were like, okay? I thought you were a teacher. I was like, no, yeah, I make a cocktail. I guess. <laughs> I'm a mixologist. <laughs> um, my God. What a night. <sighs> I'm glad that's over. <laughs> I do. Um, it is funny because I always measure the cocktails when we make them here, but I never measure it when I don't I'm actually measure it making home. them at no. home Mm-mm. just because I feel like I have such an eyeball for it now. Yeah. 
Um, just a splash. Just a splash. <laughs> a splash of gin. Come just, on. Just two and a half cups of white wine. <laughs> Allie last night poured herself a glass of white wine. And the producer said, that is not a normal person's glass. No. And you poured it into a mixing glass, a, uh, a measuring cup. <laughs> it was like. And it was. Almost two cups. Full, almost two cups. Almost two full cups of wine in one glass. Oh. It's perfect. And that was my second glass. Of that. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm going to die young. It's um, fine. But anyways, this cocktail is delicious. <laughs> and I need to know what you know about Miriam. I know she's from Pacific Island. No. the Philipp- Well, I guess. Yeah. Are the Philippines Pacific Island? Okay. I would assume. I mean, they're in the Pacific and they're islands. Okay. Yeah. But they're more like Asian Pacific Islands versus yeah. like middle of the ocean pacific islands what of australian pacific islands i guess you would say oceana Oceania. oceanic yeah. pacific islands okay um so she's from an island mm-hmm. uh she likes the color red Is it an archipelago yeah mm-hmm. okay they are and then indonesia and japan all right there right mm-hmm. next to each other anyway she likes the color red mm-hmm. um she seems like she might be involved in politics or law mm-hmm. based on solely your description earlier but mm-hmm. i don't know and he, maybe she seems like she might have a good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. She does. Um, and maybe she's a little bit fiery because oh, this yeah. is death by breakfast. You said it is uh, <laughs> death, death by breakfast. <laughs> um, that would make sense because cyanide tastes like almonds. Oh wow. Um, okay. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know. Wow. Um, no, <laughs> All right, Juliet. God. <laughs> it's called death threats for breakfast okay okay and we'll get to that even better um yeah but i don't know i've never heard of her until just this evening so okay perfect give me a Um, rundown so i got most of my information actually pretty much all of it from uh, (laughs) legacy.senate.gov that website (laughs) Uh, (laughs) wikipedia and her stir on the rocks episode 102 we talked about her no so we talked about Corazon Aquino. This is the wife of that guy. Nope. No. No, we still have to do her. Because she's a nut. Okay. We don't mention Miriam at all during that story, but she's like behind the scenes of all of this. Okay. You know what's so crazy? All right. This is wild. In that episode, because I listened to it again today, it was so great. Highly recommend going back and listening to it. (laughs) 102. Um, We talk about her, and then we did her with Maude Wagner. So we're talking about tattoos, and we talk about Maui. No way. And my cocktail had a straw in it. So we were talking about saving the turtles. You're lying. (laughs) You're lying. Isn't that crazy? Listen, when you record yourself enough, sometimes Uh, you get a little repetitive. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, okay. Ready? But anyways, I'm ready to get into it because her story is insane. Okay. Okay. Miriam Palma Defensor was born June 15th, 1945 in Ul... Iloilo, Iloilo City in the Southern Philippines. Her father, Benjamin, was a district trial judge, and her mother, uh, Dimtna, was a college dean. So also similar to Corazon, like very like wealthy, like prominent parents. Uh, she was the eldest of seven children, uh, most of whom she eventually helped send through college. And we don't know too much about her early life, um, but due to her, due to her parents' careers, we can assume that it was a pretty good life for an average woman in the Philippines. And thankfully she was able to attend some of the best schools and she was the best in school. 
She was the valedictorian of her grade school, which I didn't even know you could be. <laughs> um, and then when she got to high school, they really figured out that she was like a prodigy. In her first year of high school, she beat the entire student body, including seniors, in a spelling bee. She was the editor of her high school newspaper. She was the top swimming champion for the entire province. Okay. (laughs) I know. She got the highest grades out of anyone in this school. (laughs) Sorry. And, of course, she was the valedictorian. (laughs) Did you Um, see that Charles mispronounced his valedictorian? Yes, I did. (laughs) Charles Vincent. We love you. Um... And so (laughs) she graduates high school. She's valedictorian. She has all these great things, but she's like, you know what? I'm so Catholic because as we talked about before, (laughs) the Philippines is a very highly Catholic country. Mm -hmm. She's like, I think I'm going to be a nun. And her dad was like, look, you are like, I know shame on nuns, but he was like, you have too much to do in this world. (laughs) Like I can see it. He was like, you need to use your brain to help people. Yeah. Well, and listen, no offense to all the nuns listening. No to this offense because you do help people. <laughs> There's not one single nun listening to this. Podcast. No, not a one. Um, well, except for the nuns that do bad things. Or but, Whoopi um, Goldberg. Or- <laughs> <laughs> you lying thief. You fake nun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a great movie. Maggie Smith, maybe, from Scissor Act. <laughs> Maggie Smith from Hoses of the Preacher Man. Okay. So when she was... (laughs) When she was 16, she topped the college entrance examinations for her entire region. So she was able to attend the University of the Philippines, Visayas. um, And her accomplishments there weren't much different. She, again, was the editor of the college newspaper the entire time she was there. She won oratorical and literary contests. She even won a campus beauty contest. Shut up. She was the UPROTC core sponsor, which I also saw listed as the ROTC muse. You were just reading the chance cards from Monopoly. You're not actually. This isn't her life. I know. And she won that two years in a row. (laughs) (laughs) because i saw a picture of her from college and she was so freaking cute oh my gosh like no wonder she's adorable um she finished all of her classes in just three and a half years but stayed on for an extra semester for fun she graduated with a three and a half years (laughs) (laughs) ali did it in three um from a state university (laughs) (laughs) she graduated with a 1.1 gpa which sounds bad to us, yeah, that's really but low. <laughs> 1.0 is the 1.0 is the highest in the Philippines. Like, oh, so 1.3 is like above higher. 1.1 is above higher. Yeah, she got basically like a <laughs> 4.1. Points. Yeah, she got bonus <laughs> points. She's has a time turner. She's Hermione Granger. <laughs> she got extra credit. Um, exactly. Again, back to the Maggie Smith. Uh-huh. This is so oh, important. My gosh, so cyclical. <laughs> Do we talk about anything else besides Polynesians and Harry Potter? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we do. (laughs) Um, She graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science, magna cum laude. She was also a recipient of the Rotary Award for Most Outstanding Graduate. (laughs) Then she went off to Manila to attend law school at the University of the Philippines College of Law. Wow. She again tapped all of her examinations and as a freshman became the editor in chief of the college law paper, the Philippine Collegian. Um, and she was the first female editor of this paper. Okay. So she's doing the most. As, uh, oh my God. Like the, the most, the mostest, mostest. It's unbelievable. <laughs> 
Um, she's the mostest with the mostest. Absolutely. Uh, so she then um, was the editor of the Philippine Law Journal. So she went from kind of a paper to a journal, which is like a big thing, I guess. Um <laughs> She also made history by posting the highest number of consecutive scholarships in the state university. I'm literally just listing facts about her because that's <laughs> all that exists. Um, bullet point, bullet point, bullet it point. It was all bullet points. I love it. Um, a faculty panel chose her as one of the UP 10 outstanding co-eds. <laughs> and a feature story in the middle of Chronicle magazine said it all when it described Miriam as a super girl at the state university. A super girl. Super girl. I'm a super girl. Remember that song? I'm gonna change the world and I wanna know who's gonna love me. Save me. Think, Save right? me. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> yes, it's from the Princess Diaries and it was my favorite movie and song for a while. Anne Hathaway? Uh-huh. I'm just naming people now. <laughs> Everybody connect the dots. Maud Wagner? Um, (laughs) Somebody outline this episode. Oh, gosh. We're going to need a real big diagram. (laughs) Get me a flow chart. Get me Uh, a flow chart, people. (laughs) We're going to need a bigger page. Three-sided poster. (laughs) What are those called? Trifold Trifold. posters? (laughs) Trifold poster. Three-sided. I don't know. That would be great. I think that means try. You could put it in the center of a table and everybody could walk around it. Love it. Love it. (laughs) We've invented something new. Jehovah starts with an eye. Okay. (laughs) James Bond. This podcast is for me and you alone. Um, Okay. (laughs) James Bond. That's Indy. I know, but it's Sean Connery. I was connecting the dots. I missed a step. Okay. (laughs) Everyone hates us. I know. Okay. Uh, This may come as a surprise, but she was the valedictorian of her law school. I thought at least she would fail out. I know. Um, Let's all hope so. No, just kidding. She'll never fail. After she graduated law school, she did get married to a man named Narciso, um, a.k.a. June Santiago Jr., and together they would have two sons together, Narciso III, who they named or like called Archie, and Alexander, who they called Art. Um, <laughs> Archie and Art, very Filipino names. Um, but, before the kids, <laughs> but before the kids, she had more school to do. Once she was a valedictorian of her law school, she won the DeWitt Fellowship, and she came to the United States to attend the University of Michigan to get her master's in law. And, of course, she was not just a simple, quiet student here either. She got such high grades in her first semester that they allowed, for the first time ever, a graduate student to pursue a special program. So she earned the degree Master of Laws after one year, but she also is simultaneously able to get the degree of Doctor of the Science of Jurisprudence after only six months. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. These are all words It doesn't to matter, me. but it, <laughs> of um, course they are. What else would they be? <laughs> I need some meaning. Um, so now that she has her master's and doctorate in law, <laughs> she's like... Well, I'm way ahead of any schedule humanly possible, <laughs> so I'm going to pursue some light postdoctoral studies. And be a nun. In law <laughs> at Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Stanford, University of California, Berkeley, and Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Where's the toaster in the tree? I One of those see. doesn't belong. <laughs> you can see she um, left out Pensacola. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'm sorry, you didn't go to Bob Jones University? <laughs> I'm sorry, you weren't at the Ohio State University. <laughs> uh, she also attended the Hague Academy of Public International Law. Oh, that's in like Switzerland, right? Netherlands? Netherlands. Netherlands. Um, and Sophia University in Tokyo. Mm. Um, and... How did she get into all these colleges? How do you even do that? Who knows? Where do you get this money? I don't know. I don't even know. What, like, that's so much. Like, that's, that's so many not enough time in the world. Zoom um, wasn't to do even this. A thing yet. <laughs> um, and she got her master's in theology. So she did kind of get her nutting. Oh, good for her. She got her nutting in. <laughs> Listen, um, <laughs> I love a good religious degree. <laughs> she wrote her um, master's in theology dissertation um, on christianity versus corruption Ooh. political theology of the third world very big topics way here. to piss people off uh-huh and she did she pissed off the philippines um because her dissertation was critical of like and she's very catholic of but Catholicism. she was critical of the catholic hierarchy in the philippines and the philippines government was like you need to rewrite some of this like this isn't okay but she refused she was like i will not rewrite this these are the facts no okay bud Uh um honestly she's doing so much that i just don't i don't know what time frame this was Mm. or whatever but (laughs) i know that when she was 25 (laughs) she was offered a job in one of the biggest law firms in the philippines but she chose government service instead. Uh, she became a special assistant to the Secretary of Justice and a speechwriter for the President of the Philippines. But she wasn't quite satisfied with just having a full time, intense international lawyer lady job. So she also taught night classes. <laughs> she was a professor of political science in Trinity College and eventually professor of law in UP Dillman. Uh, oh, and she also, I'm sorry, she had a third job too as an opinion columnist for a Sunday magazine wow that's absurd so wait this is like 1970 i literally you said 25 years old right know. she was born in yeah, 1945 so this, yeah, so this has got to be the 70s yeah. okay and soon she was on her way to the big leagues when she was tapped to work for the united nations in geneva switzerland where she served as a legal officer of the United Nations High Commission for for Refugees. This is very Amal Clooney of her. So Amal Clooney. I mean, she is literally like assigned, like, to help refugees and like go to like treaties and conferences. And she's learning French so she can help people better because French is like the international, international language. language of diplomacy, as we all know and love. Um, but she gets a call and her dad has cancer and she has to leave <gasps> the UN. And go home and take care of him. Oh my God. I, Cancer is like, such a bitch. It's such a bitch. Um, and so she goes home to the Philippines. And I'm there's no clear timeline for her personal life. But I'm guessing this is kind of when she's having kids and stuff. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but she had the two kids, like I mentioned. But she also ends up adopting four more children because she loved being a mother. She once said in an interview that motherhood helped her become more of a person. And I know that sounds fucked up because, like, I, like, don't love it when we were like, oh, I wasn't a real person until I was a mom. I never knew how to love. Yeah, exactly. Until- but it is for some people. But it, well, and this is the thing that she, this is the angle she was coming at it. She was like, I was working so hard all the time and I was in control of everything in my life. She was like, 
but I was like a robot. She was like, I woke up at the same exact time every day without an alarm because Mm -hmm. like my body was just so tightly wired. And she was like, and then I had kids and I couldn't control them. She was like, it was wild. She loved it though. She was like, I really needed it to like break me. She didn't need the kids to give her like more meaning in life. She needed the kids to like mess her life up a bit. Mm. And she was like very clear about that. She's like, yeah, like that's something that I don't know if I was like born to do, you know, like be a mother, but she's like, but I loved it because it challenged me because she loves a challenge. That's so interesting. Cause I think for a lot of people, they do what you said where it's like, I didn't know how to love until I was a mother. I, I, and I'm always like, I didn't realize how selfish I was until (laughs) I was a mother. (laughs) Well, and that's like, I saw like some friend of mine from high school posted this thing that was like, Oh God. Like I just like, don't know what people who don't have kids do with their days. And I was like, uh, I work and I have other th- like I fill my life up like yeah. I'm not like a lifeless human being because I don't have kids. It's like, also a very what? annoying thing because like I remember like pre having kids when I was um, like a full time employee, which was only for a couple years. But it was like if there was like an after school event and they needed a chaperone, they'd be like, oh, you'll do it. Right. Right. And it was like, whoa, whoa. whoa just because I don't have kids doesn't mean my time's not just as valuable as yours. Like there's still value in my day. Yeah. Like you can't just like steal my time. Yeah. (laughs) That's rude. That's that's time theft. Um, (laughs) That's a crime. Where's the time turner? Bring it back. Okay. Bring it back. Um, but anyways, but I thought that was a really good angle to take it from. It's a challenge <laughs> of like, her. Yeah, it's a challenge. You can't schedule um, kids. You can't yeah, you ske- really can't. Can't schedule a temper tantrum. You can't. Um, so after her father's death, she briefly worked as a legal consultant to the Philippine Embassy in Washington, D.C. Um, but during the National Judicial Reorganization, she ended up returning to Manila, the capital, to take up a new post as regional trial court judge of Quezon City, making her the youngest judge in the country's history. So it's hard doing this story because she's moving so fast and doing so many different things. So she's back in Manila in the Philippines, and she's a judge. And her mission is to reform the Philippine justice system. (laughs) It had long been a place where justice was delayed. (laughs) (laughs) due to shady practices and corruption. So she started really putting her foot down and she was like, you know what? We're not postponing trials anymore. It was a really common tactic used by lawyers to like delay justice and to like keep their criminal clients like free for years, Mm. um, longer than they were supposed to. And it was also exhausting for judges because every court case was getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then they would end up having like 10 or 15 cases to hear a day and she was having none of it. She was like, all right, no more postponing. I'm putting the kibosh on that. We're doing a solid five cases a day so I can give each one my full attention. Mm. She was like, I'm doing what I want and you're not going like the lawyers don't run the show here. Okay. Right, right, right. I'm literally I'm the judge. The judge. Okay. <laughs> um, and this also meant that she very quickly had ruled and closed a record number of court cases in her first year. Wow. And she also just became really well known for her integrity, her competence and her efficiency. And she just won a ton of awards this year. And she really starts to become famous outside of law circles because like she's getting really well known, like within the judicial system right now. Um, But then she ends up standing up 
to the long-standing martial law in the country. Uh-huh. Put forth by Ferdinand Marcos, who we talked about in episode one or two. <laughs> um, and she stands up to him. So if you haven't listened to that episode, basically this guy came in, assassinated Corazon Aquino's husband, <laughs> uh, asserted martial law in the country, took over, gave himself unlimited term limits. He was an absolute monster, right. like super corrupt. Um, and she starts to stand up to him in any way that she can. So basically during this time, a large group of activist students from the University of the Philippines, um, they staged a rally in protest of President Ferdinand Marcos, um, the oil price hike that was going on, and his wife's outrageous spending. She's a nut. She's a nut. We have to do her. <laughs> She's the third part of the puzzle. <laughs> Listen, once we do that, we can quit the show. Yeah, we can just like leave the Philippines forever. There's no one else there. I'm There's just not kidding. one I'm other just, person not in the Philippines. One other person in the Philippines. <laughs> it's just these three women and President Marcos. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a boy, so we don't talk Wait, about him. Nobody cares about boys. Um. So it's not his story on the rocks. It's not. So his story, shaking that stirred (laughs) with a twist. Um, (laughs) So they protest all this going on, but at this time in the Philippines, because it's martial law, (laughs) uh, it was illegal to publicly assemble and it was declared a crime punishable by death. To publicly assemble. Wow. Talk about cruel and Yeah. Ferdinand Marcos is going wild. Um, <laughs> so all of the students were arrested and President Marcos issued a preventative defend detention action order, which authorized the military to hold suspects indefinitely without bail. So you have all these students who are just in jail and they're like going to miss their final exams. I know it like sounds so small, but they're like, it's not, it's huge. It's, yeah, they're like, I'm in school. Like I need to go do my final exams. Like I'm missing graduation. Like I need to finish school. Um, so this is going on. And at this time, like a lot of judges were like afraid to rule against, you know, president Marcos. They like, didn't want to rustle things up. Um, and so the judges are afraid the prosecution, you know, Fernand Marcos's team presented so many witnesses. They literally just lined up so many people, like even like the smallest person with like the small story, whatever, that it would have been impossible to finish a trial because it would have taken too long. They're like, well, we have 150 witnesses. So like, and you have to let them all speak. Calm down. Um, but Miriam steps in and she's like, you know what? I'm going to suspend my regular calendar of trials and i am going to conduct marathon hearings on this case i'm just going to stay up as long as i need to to hear every witness to pull over your shenanigans and get this thing done her eventual decision once she got to the end was obviously to release the students (laughs) (laughs) so she gets to the end she releases the students she you know like rules that they weren't in the wrong that they have the right to do that and she is hailed as a like it's just such a courageous act and she just becomes a national heroine to all the university students and she earns the grudging respect even of the martial law administrators like some people in government are like okay like 
that was pretty brave of you. Oh, wow. <laughs> pretty um, cool, girl. Yeah. <laughs> now it's your turn to go to prison. <laughs> Woohoo! And this is important because it's really like the beginning of the end for Marcos. So the people were starting to rise up, as we all know from Ali's fantastic story about Corazon Aquino. And finally, in 1986, she was elected the first female president of the Philippines. And it was like a crazy thing. It's like he tried to cheat. He tried to get it. And then he gets exiled. It's such a wild story. Like I and she's like. I mean, she had been like running her husband's campaign from yeah. he's in prison and then her they moved to the United States and then her husband gets assassinated and then Horrible. she's running her election from out of the country. Absurd. It's all bananas. And it's just so all this is happening. And finally... We have like a good person as president of the Philippines after this like horrible rule. She's like rewriting the constitution. Yeah. And in 1988, after she had like really like rewritten the constitution, reformed the government, she appoints Miriam as the commissioner of the Bureau of Immigration and Deportation. Because at this time, that was the most corrupt department of the Philippines. They were known as the fake passport capital of the world. <laughs> so that's where you put your badass bitches. Exactly. And uh, Miriam was like, I'm not having any of this. So she started directing raids against the criminal syndicates, including the Yakuza. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. She is trying to just weed out all of these large criminal empires. She filled the immigration detention centers with foreign criminals who were engaged in the pedophile industry. So the smuggling of illegal aliens, smuggling prostitutes, underage prostitutes, like sex workers. Um, the important export of illicit firearms and dangerous drugs. She is just cracking down on all of this. One article said that her efforts to rid the Philippines of corruption took people's breath away. <laughs> I, I can't even breathe. I can't even breathe. My breath is gone. It's away. Um, I am so full of drugs and... <laughs> <laughs> prostitutes sex i don't work? know i don't know <laughs> i don't know so um, much sex work i can't even breathe I can't even breathe um listen it's quite a workout but not everyone of course was super stoked about her crusades you mean the people um, that make money off of criminal acts yeah, which the, is usually the, just the rich higher class mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the criminals and the rich criminals um <laughs> were giving her a lot of pushback and they started sending her death threats and they're like we're coming for you and when a reporter asked her about this, they're so like, are you scared? And she goes, I eat death threats for breakfast. Ugh. And that's Perfect. why I named this cocktail this. Because <laughs> I think Perfect. that is such a fantastic quote. All I want is a picture of one of these cocktails on one of those little square napkins. And then it just says death threats death on threats. it. I love it. I'm going to name a, I'm going to open up a brunch restaurant called death threats. Um, You'd have to have a really cool menu to do that. You would. Lots of hot sauce. Yeah, devil's <laughs> egged Benedict. <laughs> That's no, they're no. prepared so differently. No, yeah, those That's are just separate. mayonnaise on those a poached are, egg. Those are separate thing. <laughs> I would love a to, true work of the devil. What if we just mixed all of the egg recipes? <laughs> just like, every um, who are you, the runaway bride? <laughs> oh my god, Julie Roberts obsessed with her <laughs> and her giant smile oceans 11 <laughs> <laughs> wait this is our name tess! <laughs> uh shout out to test the character and test the person we love both of you 
<laughs> you should know Terry. Ooh. Somebody's always watching. <laughs> One of my favorite movies. Why was his name Terry? I can't. Because <laughs> he had to be slightly emasculated in front of George Clooney. <laughs> you mean um, Danny Ocean? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the big D.O. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Uh, a senator of the Philippines even gave a speech against her one time. Wowza. He said, can you guys even handle this woman? I can't believe her. She is uh, conducting raids against our pedophile community. <laughs> how dare she? How dare she? Oh he God. said this in public. I don't know what the... Like, fuck this guy's problem is. I hope his wife left him. Uh, high and <laughs> I don't know about that, but I know Miriam called him a fungus face. <laughs> <laughs> That's my next insult to my producer insult. immediately. Stop being such a fungus God. face. <laughs> God, you're such a fungus face tonight. Wow, could you have any more mushrooms on your <laughs> nose? I'm <laughs> losing it. Okay. <laughs> So, of course, Miriam became an absolute star of the local and foreign press. People were obsessed with her no-nonsense approach to corruption um, and her really funny sayings and her just her wit. <laughs> the fact that she was calling people fungus face. I just don't think she gave a shit about I growing really up. I really don't. Um, she was appearing in Time Magazine, The Economist, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The International Herod. Tribune. Um, <laughs> you can't just say Tribune. There's like a, lots of. No, government. that's the name, the International Herald Tribune. Oh, oh, oh. I didn't I know you. I didn't I know you could be a, Tribune. No, I didn't know you could be a Herald and a Tribune. So I got mixed up. <laughs> the International Herald Tribune. Copy sun, and paste is a bitch. Times. Um, <laughs> they started calling her the Incorruptible Lady, the Iron Lady of Asia, the Dragon Lady, the Platinum Lady, and the Undisputed campus heroine don't like, love oh, dragon okay. lady i feel um, like that's a super asian stereotype of it not is <laughs> platinum lady okay whatever i don't care about that one either iron lady is kind of like iron know, lady is iron pretty cool. Cool. um and i think it had something to do with margaret thatcher but who knows we've never talked about her and we will we will ruling with an iron fist i was that's gonna like say we never phrase. will but we will <laughs> and we never will Fuck but we her. especially um, won't talk about the fact that scully played her what okay in what's that show the crown the crown and the people of the philippines that weren't criminals just loved her when she went out shopping they would have to close down the mall because crowds of fans would erupt around her and she like wouldn't be able to get out she was followed by paparazzi trying to get pictures of her beautiful legs (laughs) and they got one picture of her at the beach i'm getting like very princess diana vibes i was just about to say that mm-hmm. we're doing a journey right now we're a real journey through miriam santiago just thought we needed one okay um so another okay this picture was taken without her permission and used in a men's calendar People loved her. Wow. And with all this popularity. Maxim po- colon yeah. Philippines. <laughs> so with all this popularity, popu- politicians who had really benefited from the previous administration really started to hate her. They're like, okay, we got 
Corazon Aquino is really against corruption. And then this lady is really against corruption. Like, how are we going to afford our second yachts? How I just are we don't going to understand corruption? I don't understand. Um, so they start spreading lies about her um, to the public. They literally paid ad companies just to like spread lies about her. It was insane. Um, one article, I think, summarized this time in her life perfectly. Because her millions of fans call her a genius, her political enemies tried to peddle the desperate charge that she is eccentric. Because her fans adore her charisma, her political enemies call her intellectually arrogant. Because her fans call her a fighter, her enemies dubbed her a non-team player. Which I think those things are so interesting because you have eccentric, arrogant, and non-team player, which I think are things that people throw around all the time at women, especially in like business settings. Oh yeah. Who like, they want to use terms that are like, no, it's not gender specific. Like anybody can be arrogant or not a team player or eccentric, but like, it's like, no, what you mean is hysterical and uh-huh. a bitch. And like, you know what I'm saying? You're like, uncomfortable that a woman has this much power. Exactly. Right. So you're using terms that make people feel more comfortable and that you're not singling her out for her gender mm-hmm. and her lack of corruption. But you're only saying it because you're singling her out for her gender. Exactly. And, <laughs> and her fans weren't having it. In fact, the more that they tried to like disparage her reputation, the more they called for her to run for president. Woo! So in the public, she'd kind of play it off and be like, me, never. I would never. But she really started to consider it. Hmm. Now, I would say that she had pretty solid views on most things, uh, except for abortion, because she's, again, very Catholic. And we run into this with a lot of, like, like really powerful, really powerful Catholic women. Um, But she really wanted to pass a reproductive health law that would give Philippine women better access to contraception and sex education. Um, She also wanted to tackle environmental concerns, LGBTQ rights and divorce. Interesting. Divorce is still not legal in the Philippines, which I did not know that I, wow, I know. And she said very publicly she was like why would i want people to be in relationships with people like that hate each other she's like that's not a safe environment for anyone no she's like we need to legalize divorce yeah seriously um so she's thinking wow like you know maybe i do have a lot more to do for this country so she decides to run. She's going to run for president. Okay. And this is something that her opponents ab- could just absolutely not have. So in 1991, while she was on a speaking tour, a car rammed into her vehicle on the side where she was seated. So it was very intentional. Again, very Princess Diana. Mm. Um, bloodied and unconscious. She's airlifted by helicopter. Um, to Manila and she's taking to a, to a hospital where just a stream of her fans are like coming in and like asking and like they're like we literally like j- I don't even know how you found out about this but like we're like trying to get her into surgery <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and so like as soon as like the news spreads that like she's in the hospital thousands and thousands of people are just waiting outside the hospital like, and of course they can't let anybody in to see her, right. but like the whole of the Philippines is very concerned about her. Uh, and 
even though they couldn't go and they left flowers, which again, again, very Princess Diana. Yeah. Her team never publicly disclosed her injuries um, so that people wouldn't worry, but she was completely immobile and couldn't walk or move her arms. Her facial injuries made it impossible for her to talk and she had to communicate by writing. So wait, is she like paralyzed? No. She just can't. She just like at the time, like she had so many broken bones and stuff that like she couldn't do anything. Oh my God. Um, She underwent very complex surgery during which she had a near death experience. She was even given her last rites from a priest because they really didn't think she was going to make it. So she's in the hospital. She's like literally almost dead. And her political enemies filed corruption charges against her while she was in jail, which obviously like were not true. <laughs> no, I mean, what? but she eats that for breakfast. So she does. Fine. And that's the thing. Like all of her supporters are like, are you fucking kidding me? She's literally like, like they th- thought of her now as a martyr. So now like her support is only growing. And it's these guys who like tried to have her killed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and after two months after this assassination attempt, she is back on the campaign trail. I don't know how she got back out there, but she did. Um, and she made her campaign unique by running under her own party, the People's Reform Party. And this party boasted that it didn't take any money from big companies or existing political structures. This meant that wherever she went to speak, people would just volunteer to make the platform that she stood on, which unfortunately meant that they collapsed a few times. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm also picturing like Leslie, Leslie Nope on the ice rink. Like, <laughs> what's the song? Get, Get on your feet. <laughs> Get up and make it happen. And then they have to keep replaying. Oh, the same God. It's so great. What a perfect uh, scene in a show. It's uncomfortable and I love it. Um, but yeah, so it's a very Leslie Nope situation. Um, <laughs> student volunteers are there as her official poll watchers since she couldn't afford to hire anyone. And she's doing all this. And then it's time for the election. And I mean, it felt like she had it in a bag. I mean, people were in like, is this going to be like, a Hillary situation? It's worse than that. No, I can't. I can't have this happen. I mean, in her home area, she had an unprecedented 98% of the vote. Okay. okay. She placed first among the presidential candidates in Manila and in other regions with even higher voting populations. But during the voting process, polling places were experiencing rolling blackouts. And when her opponent, Fidel Ramos, was ahead in the polls, they stopped counting the votes. They called it. They called it. And there's even a theory that there was some vote switching going on. (laughs) People said that she won in the voting but lost in the counting. Which, again... You know, it's a funny thing. When we we recorded episode 102 about Corazon, the election had just kind of started and we didn't know the results yet. Oh, so we were so nervous. We were so nervous. Because all of the like COVID votes, the mail-in votes were like not counted yet. Yeah. And it was like that horrible thing of like, stop the counting. No, keep counting. And it's like, we're just going to, I mean, we're going to count all the fucking votes. Maybe just let us count all the fucking votes. Like it might take a little longer. Also, we can't 
count votes that weren't here. So sit down. Um, (laughs) And Fidel Ramos is declared the winner. She tried to fight it. She really did. She filed multiple complaints and lawsuits. She even mortgaged her law office to pay her judicial fees. But the new president-elect put a stop to it as soon as he could. He even delayed the start of the school year so that university students couldn't gather and protest the election. And then he sent a military group to her house to threaten her. Why have so many Trumps been elected in the last, like, 30 years? Don't know. So confused. We got the guy in Brazil. It's because people with old money are scared. We've got the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Also, I'm finding out it's very dangerous to be a female leader. Yes, it is. So much assassination we've talked about and like death threats. So many. It's so terrible. Female politicians have it rough. I wonder what the percentage is. Because I mean, I know male politicians also get killed and assassinated. But percentage wise, just because there are haven't. You know what I mean? Like female leaders are just so much more recent. I wonder. I would love to know like the real breakdown of it. Um, Somebody do that. Somebody do, do that it. study. That sounds like a job for one of our listeners mm-hmm. who is like a professional. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike us. Um, and so he sends this military group to her house to threaten her, but she wasn't home. So mm. they just like turned her house inside out and like destroyed most of her belongings. <laughs> Terrible. Um, but as usual, she wasn't threatened, and she refused to recognize him as the president. Instead, she coined him the Snowpake president, because in many of the votes, in like the certificate, like you know, the actual paper votes, her votes had been erased with white Snowpake correctional ink, so like white out. It's like the hanging chad. What is the hanging chat? I know I hear this all the time. And I don't know what it um, is. Okay. So when Al Gore lost to Bush, uh-huh. too, um, Florida had to recount multiple times because they had punch card um, voting system. Mm. And they had to decide which one. So some of them didn't punch all the way through. So it was like, is it a nipple? Is it often hanging? Is it like halfway punched out? So they had to decide which ones to count. And the hanging Chad was one they could count, which means it was hole punched all the way through, but it was still hanging on. What? So like Al Gore technically won Florida and won the United States election, but they couldn't count all the votes because some of them didn't go through all the way. And they that's like, yes, they were. And that's like, as far as I know in the situation, because I'm not like a big negative person on Bush too. He did a pretty good job. Like, I don't agree with a lot of his politics. Oh yeah. And I like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm an Al Gore girl. Like whatever. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a gory girl. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. He invented the internet. I can't. Um, but yeah, it like, I think that's like one election where people are like, Yes, technically Al Gore should have been the president. Okay. Because it's this one electoral state. A very important state. Yeah, that, that like is he would have wishy washy. But they had um a punch card system and it didn't work. Wow. Big deal. Okay. <laughs> um so no, they were a little more blatant with it. They literally whited out the votes <laughs> and wrote his name in there. Um <laughs> That's a great whiteout commercial. It really is. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to call up whiteout. Um, So she was obviously out for president. There was nothing she can do. But she could still make a difference because Corazon, 
had left such a good uh, groundwork for the future of oh. the Philippines, um, she was able to run for the Senate. And she was voted in in 1995, uh, despite Ramos literally paying people off to make this not happen. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, she got in. And by most reports, she was a fantastic senator. She worked hard to fight corruption, as always. She was the first legislator to expose building contractors who solicited public works projects from Congress members with promises to give an advanced 10% kickback. Mm-hmm. Apparently this is called like pork rolling or pork barreling or something like that. Cause it was like, she was really against pork barreling. And I was like, what's pork? What barreling? does that mean? Like, oh. is she like what people are actually trying to give her pigs? Like, I don't, I thought Catholics didn't like that. I don't know. Um, on Fridays, on Fridays, um, <laughs> during Lent, no pork barreling on Fridays. <laughs> um, or 40 days before you start. <laughs> Not that. No, love Lent. Um, She also got (laughs) a really big win in 1997 when she took President Ramos to court after he initiated a campaign to change the term limits. So we remember Corazon, she was like, we got one term and it's six years. That's it. No, so literally like, no right run. after her, he's trying to come and he goes, um, I know it's like one term, six years, but why don't, you know, what do we think about making it indefinite? <laughs> She's like, no, that would be a dictatorship. And we're not <laughs> about that. Um, so she took him to court and she won the case and the term limits were maintained. Good for Unbelievable. her. Thank God. Uh, in 1998, she ran for president, but lost again. <laughs> and this is kind of the, um, uh, the beginning of a couple of really rough years for Miriam. Uh, in 2010 or 2001, she lost her Senate seat, which oh. was really upsetting. Um, and then in 2003, her younger son, Alex, committed suicide <gasps> when he Terrible. was 22. Oh, no. It was absolutely devastating to Miriam. She suffered a stroke, hypertension, pinched nerves, high cholesterol, and anorexia during this time like she just like wouldn't she couldn't eat oh my gosh mental health everybody find somebody to talk to oh my gosh and she's just like working all the time and i think that she just i i imagine that she just like wasn't like she was just falling apart during this time it was so terrible um but as usual i mean she got herself back together and in 2004 she won her senate seat back which she would keep until 2016 and it seemed like things were back on track. She's back in the Senate. You know, she's working like really hard again. Like she's really trying to get past this like family trauma that happened. And in 2012, she became the first Filipina, Filipino and the first Asian from a developing country to be elected a judge <gasps> on the International Criminal Court, which is like a huge fucking That's deal. A massive deal. But shortly after she was elected, she had to resign. She was passing it off at the time as chronic fatigue syndrome. Cancer? But it was lung cancer. Same as Corazon. Corazon died of cancer, too. And her dad. It's just like. her dad. Cancer is such a fucking bitch. It really is. I'm so so mad about it. She takes some time off to battle cancer. But she's uh, really not good at taking time off. So she ends up writing two books. (laughs) Okay. Um, the first was called Stupid as Forever. And then she wrote the sequel called Stupid as Forevermore. <laughs> and these are joke books. 
That's so funny. <laughs> they are filled with jokes, comebacks, and one-liners and pickup lines that, that she used while she was on the campaign trail. Absurd. I absurd. know. That's absurd, Katie. Ah! I don't even want to read it. I'm so upset about it. Stop so if it. anyone wants to buy it for us, let us know. Um, <laughs> and Krista just sent us a book in the mail like, today. I love that. And I will say she wrote a lot of other books too, including like some autobiographies and law textbooks and whatever. But these are the only ones that I wanted to mention because I think it's, so fantastic that she wrote two joke books <laughs> stupid as forever <laughs> how do you write that book and then go wait i have more <laughs> stupid as forever more <laughs> obsessed <laughs> obsessed with this ashanti um, is forever ashanti is forever <laughs> she tried to push through and she ran again for president in 2015 despite having oh sorry do that again so she writes these books, she's trying to push through, and she runs again for president in 2015. And again, despite having extremely high poll numbers, she lost again. Oh my God, this bitch is like Henry Clay. People dubbed her the greatest president we never had. Oh, <laughs> Dole. Was Bob Dole. Bob Dole. Um, <laughs> So she loses again, but she really, she really couldn't have done the job anyways because her cancer was getting worse. Right. And on September 29th, 2016, Miriam Defensor Santiago Esquire to the nth degree <laughs> passed away. Esquire Barris mm-hmm. the eighth. The who knows. <laughs> her last words to her husband were, I accept this. I do not want to do anything heroic. But for a woman who stood up for so much, I mean, she was absolutely heroic and she would have a hero's funeral. Her body lay in state at the Cathedral Grottoes of the Immaculate Conception Cathedral in Cubao and it was followed by a Catholic funeral mass. She was interred at Loyola Memorial Park in Marikina on October 2nd beside the tomb of her son, Alexander. After her death, she was awarded with every honor you could possibly think of, including the Quezon Service Cross, which is the highest honor in the Philippines. And she is only the sixth recipient of it overall, and the first and only woman. And in honor of her spectacular life, I would like to end on one of my favorite quotes of hers. What is the meaning of life? This meaning is not for you to find, but it is for you to define. Mm. And I feel like she just defined that her life was going to be great. And I just, I love her. And that's the story of Miriam Santiago. I mean, literal gingerbread man. What? Catch me if you can. She's unbelievable. That's why like her story was just an actual bullet point list of all the things that she did because she was running a literal sprint her whole life she she was sprinting that's a perfect way to describe it she really was absurd all right well now we need to talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call just the two of us all right so while you were talking i looked it up 44 percent of female politicians are threatened with death rape beatings and abductions (gasps) 44%? 44%? That's like almost half. That's disgusting. That's crazy. 
Oh my gosh, I hate that. Said one article <laughs> that I just found. Well, and like I guarantee you that every single one of the most popular ones oh yeah are a yes. You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's disgusting. I hate that. Um, um, okay. So both of these women are from island countries. That's really cool. Absolutely. And they both are from like well-established parents and end up in leadership roles. They definitely do. And I think that the dad situation was really striking to me because you have kind of the opposite vibe going on with the dad, because these are two dads that are in power positions that can kind of see the future in a way. Mm. And I think that Moana's dad has a fearful view of the future. And he's like, this happened to me when I was younger and like, it could have been really bad and I don't want that to happen to you. So he wants to keep her safe at home. Mm -hmm. And I think that Miriam's dad was like, no, I can see the future and it's so bright for you. Like, I don't want you to you know, like kind of like be wasted in a nunnery. He's like, you have so much good to do in this world. Like go out, you know, they're giving their daughters like the exact opposite messages because I don't know. I think they see the future differently. Yeah, they do. And I, I also think that the way that Miriam struggled with cancer is the way that the island was struggling with a blight Ugh. that is just like impossible to cure you know what i mean like once something like that has taken hold yeah and it's so genetic and it has so many layers and so much history the same way that this mythology does it's very interesting to me no absolutely and it is kind of um an uncontrollable thing that sometimes like it feels like it's coming to like stop thing you know what i'm saying like i know there's no greater meaning to cancer i don't want it to seem like it's you know like oh everything happens for a reason it's like no like (laughs) in both of these stories the consequences are actually dire so like you know people are starving or people are dying like don't tell me it like happens for a greater reason but i think that they have um kind of like explanations rooted in a deeper culture do you know what i'm saying yeah i mean every time a rich like a really rich or famous person like dies from cancer. I'm like, Oh, there, there might not be hope. You know what I mean? It's like, if somebody with With all the resources, right. Because like, there are a lot of diseases where it's like, Oh, if you have tons of money, then you can fend it off. Yeah. That is not the case with cancer. You can like slightly prolong. Yeah. You can prolong it, but it's, it's, it's going to catch up. And yeah, I just, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about um, the idea of like, because I feel like cancer is like a general evil that doesn't have any sort of agenda and Mm. any sort of um, distinction between people. And I was thinking a lot about real evil versus fictional evil Mm. because you have in Moana's case this fictional evil. Right. Which is like, you know, like this, uh, this blight, this thing happening that they can't control but that has a solution in the end. Right. And, you know, sometimes you don't get the bad guys. And I feel like that was it with Miriam. Like, she was like, I can fend off the bad guys. Like, nobody else. I can try and, like, stop their operations and stop their, you know, mishandlings of the judicial systems and whatever. But sometimes, like, you don't 
get the fairy tale ending that there's you no want. end game there is no end game because and i think that with um environmental things too like you know moana is, is kind of like an environmental story mm. and i feel like we're in that right now we're like we have the solutions to fix our environment and we're not taking them right we're choosing not to yeah um i also think that miriam is so much like Tafiti in the sense of being this mother earth person who yeah. like loves having children and then her son takes his own life which is like very turning into Taka right like your yeah. heart has been taken from you oh absolutely and it's like also something you couldn't control like people have mental health issues and I'm sure it's not easy to have your mother like slandered on television for your entire freaking life like I'm sure there's so <laughs> I mean, much involved I'm sure it sucks being the child of a woman who was uh, had an assassination attempt carried out on her right that's right. very stressful and like who's just sitting all over the place and like that does like really suck and i think about that with like moana too like there's so much like traveling but in an effort to help people mm -hmm. you know like i feel like they both had to like go away from their homes to try and do things for the better good and like do things for the right people like you know like and not just for everyone but for specifically like their home people you yeah. know what i'm saying and almost like president um corazon aquino is almost like the grandmother like moana's grandmother yes like i, I set this up for you like it's here i'm putting you in a position of power like with me now just go and run with it yeah well and i wrote that down like these like the female support systems of like i don't have to say this directly to you but I have faith and hope in you and I'm going to try my hardest to set things up for you so that you can be successful. Right. You know, like I was thinking about like Corazon acting as kind of like, yeah, like the mother and the grandmother and like setting things up and Corazon like leaving office and being like, I set myself a six year term limit and she could have taken more and she specifically didn't. She said, I'm not going to set that example. Right. And then it turned into like another like corrupt thing because she can't control everything. She did the best that she could. Right. And I feel like that was like, like the grandmother was like, I can't put the heart of Tafiti back. I can't do that, but I can set you up to fix things. Right. I, I mean, I tell my daughters all the time being female is not a single sport. Mm. Like there's so many, like, I feel like, manhood in general like can be played as a single sport yeah. and you just can't like as a female in most cases because yeah you're trying to fight an entire system That's that has been designed against you right set up to make it so that you can't yeah. succeed well and i think that that's why we see like you know like miriam says so many times in like her speeches and her writing she's like we need more women in charge because of that exact thing like they don't think of it as a single sport mm. they think of it as a team effort and they want to rebuild the system so that it's better for everyone and like not that women can't do things that on their own but they I think that a lot of female leaders don't feel like they have to do things on their own, which I yeah. think is an important distinction of like, sure, I could play, you know, tennis singles and like, maybe I'll lose. But like, if I have a team behind me, like, why would I take this like bet? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, 
no, I'm it's sorry. Right. I feel like I'm doing a really bad job this week of like finishing my thoughts, but like, it's not that they can't do it on their own. It's that they see that the better way is to go together and to help mm. more people. Right. Rather than a purely ego thing. And obviously not all women. Like we literally talked about Griselda Blanco last week being an absolute monster. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, all of our statements are in general. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> How about this senator defending pedophilism I... being compared <sighs> to mythology? Because <laughs> mythology is crazy. It's crazy with like weird like incest and pedophilia and whatever. <laughs> like lying to your daughter so you can have sex with her. That's terrible. I don't like that at all. No. Um Gross. But and I feel like it's because I feel like it goes back to these like male dominated systems that have been around forever. And like, Vagina I wonder teeth. if <laughs> I wonder sometimes if the story was one thing and then a woman told it and she added in the vagina teeth yeah. to kind of be like, and that's not okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because we like, don't crawl your worm self up inside please of Please don't. Because we talk about how like, women were like the storytellers and the passers on of culture and tradition. And sometimes I wonder if they did add things like that in to kind of be like, I can't tell you directly right to like not take anyone's shit, but I'm telling you not to take anyone's shit. I can't tell you directly. Don't let somebody crawl up inside you while you're asleep. But like, if that happens, use your vagina teeth. Literally be a vagina tooth, like, in your own life and in your career. <laughs> Can I quote um, you on that? Be a, Li- be a vagina tooth. Literally be a vagina tooth. <laughs> Katie Greenwood, 2021. That's going to, that's your legacy. That's it. That's my legacy. Tote bags. Get it on tote bags. <laughs> that's it. Oh, my God. If you, you want us to put to that on a toast bag, tote ba- toast bag. If you would buy a tote, make a toast bag, bag that says literally be a vagina tooth. <laughs> no we'll make it um (laughs) zazzle will absolutely um yeah i'm ready to toast okay um Allie, who would you like to toast this evening (laughs) so and i listen i think this is so applicable now too because of miriam's story like i want to toast the sequel I think a lot of people achieve something in their life and then they're like, I'm done. I know I dealt with that. And a lot of people do that after getting um, a PhD or a professional degree because you just have like this lull of like, I've worked so hard on this for so long. And then it's just like, I'm done. I've hit a wall yeah, and I'm done. And I just, I want to toast people and the idea that like you've done this hard thing and now you can do another hard thing and it can or cannot be related and it doesn't matter. I love that. So to, to the sequels and to the people who keep going. Cause I really want a Moana too. Ah, that would be great. (laughs) Um, I'm going to toast women who work hard and play hard. Um, Miriam did not have, it seems, a lot of time off in her crazy life. Um, And she accomplished more than most humans literally possibly could. But she also just, like, wrote a book of jokes. And she spoke her mind. And I feel like she did know how to have a good time, even if it was in her own personal way. (laughs) So cheers. Work hard, play hard. 
Yeah, she once said she was like, I'm like afraid of dying because I'm worried that there's like not going to be like sex in heaven. <laughs> Something like that. I was like, should I make this the quote that I end on? I don't know. Um, sex in heaven. That should yeah, be the name of the drink. Sex in heaven. <laughs> okay. Right. Are you ready for promos? I'm ready. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I read um, the Summer I Turned Pretty series, which Ooh, is a is teenage drama series by the same woman who wrote um to the to all the boys i loved before <gasps> i love that movie yeah and <laughs> it's a three book that's a three book book series really and this is a three book book series so anyway i read it it's really cute it's like the basic teenage drama archetype so like if you love an easy read these three books are an easy read one girl doesn't think she's really cute and there's two boys after her and it's very hard for uh-huh. her to choose. Very, very Bella, Rory Gilmore, Edward, Roy, Bella Swan, Jacob, okay. Katniss, Gail, Peta, Hermione, Harry, Ron, like the nobody's whole- ever seen me like that. <laughs> I don't understand why people think I'm cute. I'm quirky. Like I, but I have glasses and brown <laughs> hair. I can't be cute. But then one day I took my glasses off and somebody realized I was interesting. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that. It's perfect. Okay. If you just need an easy read where you're I love that. ready to just be like, okay, whatever. Doesn't perfect. matter. <laughs> I think, wait, what is that? woman's name who wrote that is it jenny han jenny han i think yeah. that's right she's i mean is she's, it jenny though or jenny uh, i think jenny i don't know but to all the boys i love before all three of the movies are on netflix now Ugh, they're so i i haven't seen the third one there's so, i've only seen the first two as well but i read the books and they're very very good yeah it's jenny han yeah and i liked even i mean we could I'm sure we've promoted that before, but to all the boys I love before, it's just great. I watched it's it with so the kids. Perfect. It's such a great movie that like shows you what social media can do in like a secondary school. It's, it's very incredible. good. But also her boyfriend is so unrealistically perfect when he's just like, it's okay, babe. Like I understand. I'm like, no boy acts like that. I Not love him. I mean, that's why they're fantasy books. Peter I Kravin- love him too. Peter, Peter. Kravinsky. Peter. <laughs> Peter. Um, uh, I just only want to say it like that. Peter. The actor is so cute. <laughs> He's super uh, cute. Noah, what's his face? Um, um, his high socks are my uh, favorite. I love that he plays lacrosse. I know. I know. It's not football. It's so uh, perfect. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm going to promo uh, a show Casey and I just finished called The Flight Attendant. Have you heard of this? Have not. <gasps> So Kaylee Cuoco is a star. Perfect. Um, and I heard Short hair her Kaylee, long hair. She's Kaylee. long hair Kaylee this okay, time. Okay. Um, so she was talking in an interview I re- I listened to recently about how she was really trying to get into like the Reese Witherspoon thing of like turning incredible books into like movies and shows. Mm-hmm. So she like heard about the flight attendant book, didn't read it, just got the movie rights to it immediately. <laughs> She was like, so I was a little nervous because I bought the movie rights and I didn't read it. Um, but she turned it into this series and it is so good. It's kind of like a heist psychological thriller, but it's also like kind of funny because she's just a flight attendant that gets thrown into this like insane world. And she's also dealing with like, the trauma of her childhood and like re-examining things. And it is, 
I, I didn't think I was going to cry during it. And I cried multiple times. Oh, perfect. But it's like a big mega conspiracy crime international thing. And the cinematography is beautiful because they're in Rome and Bangkok and New York. And it's just gorgeous. And I loved it so much. It's like eight episodes. They're like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. It's on HBO Max. Um, and... Kaylee Cuoco is someone who like has like done a lot of sitcoms and she was so amazing in this show. She's a great actress. She's a great actress. And uh, I just loved it. So the flight attendant, I'm going to recommend it. It was insane. Perfect. All right. Well, that's it for us. Find uh, us everywhere. Please do. Instagram, we would love Facebook, it. Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, but most of all, we want you to rate and review us. Please. It really helps. Um, we're almost to 70 um, on <laughs> like rates and reviews. So we'll take if it. you're the 70th person, let us know. And we'll send you, we'll send you a sticker or something. We yeah, we'll because send you something. we would love to just bridge that gap. That mm-hmm. would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of get our mojo back after a couple bad reviews. So <laughs> <laughs> bad reviews are the best. <laughs> so we love you guys. I would actually, I'll send you two things in the mail. If you give us two, a sarcastically bad review, <laughs> a review that's bad, but fake bad, give us five stars, but then a fake, fake, bad. fake bad review. Be like, they love women too much. I hate it. Um, <laughs> they're, so funny i can't even listen to it in public i'm urinating in my <laughs> pants because they're so funny um <laughs> and a vulture <laughs> um so we love you um and yeah find us everywhere um get us on patreon if you want to hear what comes after the episode <gasps> um and but most of all we want you to never forget that well-behaved women say that you have a beautiful home no the matter first what. thing, no matter, no matter what. what. No matter what. Yeah. First and, statement. And you know what? They really make us three. They don't. <laughs> Goodbye. <Bye. laughs> You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.